So Acts chapter 11, uh, we read the following from verse 19. It says, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. What did they do? Did they run away? Did they complain about the scattering, the persecution? Did they say, Oh, Mogetroge, nobody loves me? No, they did not. What did they do? The Bible says us there in verse 19, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. So they went to the Jews. They were scattered all over. And they preached the gospel to the Jews. They didn't complain. And think about this. They, some of them had to leave their houses. Some of them had to leave their friends and family because they were Christians. But they didn't complain about it. They went and preached the gospel. Verse 20 says, But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. Who's the Hellenists? They were the Greeks. They were not the Jews. So here we see the gospel going out to the Jews as well as the non-Jews, the Greeks, the Hellenists. And what were they preaching? The Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to God, and you could shout hallelujah. You know, friend, brother, sister, wherever the Lord Jesus Christ is preached in spirit and truth, you will find what's happening here. A lot of people will come to the Lord, and they will believe and turn to Him. And verse 22 says, Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen, when he had seen the grace of God, when Barnabas came to Antioch, he saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they, they should continue with the Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this morning. And Father, I thank you that your word will go out this morning and it will accomplish everything that you purpose for it. Father, I need your help this morning. I'm weak in my body, but I know, Lord, in you I can be strong. So, Father, I pray that you touch my mind, my lips, and my heart. Let me preach this word as passionate as I can in the Lord Jesus Christ as if it's the only and the last message I ever will preach. I preach, pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we find here the gospel being preached after the persecution. When you see the name Stephen there, you recall that he was taken out of the city, and because he believed in the Lord and he was preaching, they stoned him to death. Let it be known that the message of Jesus Christ is not loved by the world. If you go out there and you carry the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart, in your life, the world will hate you and the world will want to kill you. I remember there's a story of Wesley, the old preacher. He was riding on his horse and he would go to every town. And when he come, he will get off and he will stand there and he will preach the gospel to the town people. And this one time, he was going to this town, he preached, he got on his horse, and as he was riding out of town, something came to his mind, and he dropped off his horse, fell on his knees, 
and he started praying to God. He says, Lord, please, please, Lord, I repent. You would want to say, why? He said, for Lord, in this last town that I came through, nobody threw me with rotten eggs. Nobody threw me with rotten tomatoes. And Father, nobody threw me with a stone. So the world is starting to love me. And that aren't be so. And there was this old crook behind the tree. He looked out and he saw this preacher man on his knees there and crying out to God. And he thought, man, I'm going to show this guy. And he picked up a rock and he threw as hard as he can. And he just missed Wesley. And when that rock hit the ground, Wesley looked up and he says, Praise the Lord, I'm still hated by the world. You see, the problem today is that the world loves the church. Because he uses the church for the wrong things. And here we find in this passage this morning in front of us that these people were scattered and they were persecuted for what? For the Lord's name's sake. And you will be persecuted. You will. By the world, and listen to this, also by your friends and your family. And your family. Because for what you believe in. But I want to talk to you this morning about verse 23. When this man Barnabas came to Antioch, and let me just tell you a little bit about Antioch. Antioch back in the day was a very affluent city. It had a long main street, and the whole main street for four kilometers was laid out with marble. Think about this. And as you go down this four kilometers of marble road, there were pillars of marble. Very affluent. Very big culture city. Rich people, some of the Roman uh, uh, leaders went to this place and they retired in Antioch. But it was also a wicked city. A city that attracted all of the unwanted as well. There was this temple there which they allocated for Daphne, the Lord Daphne. And there was a lot of immoral things that happened at that temple and in the city. Next to Corinthians, this back in the day was one of the worst cities uh, for morals in antiquity. It was also the only city back in antiquity who at night time had his streets lighted. So you could walk and the streets would have light. And it's in this place that Barnabas finds himself. And we're going to see now what he sees there. In verse 23 he says, And when he came he had seen the grace of God. I want to talk to you today for a while about the grace of God. How wonderful is the grace of God? Who is experiencing the grace of God? Can you put up your hand? The grace of God. Uh, there's two words in the Bible. In the Old Testament, they use the word, the Hebrew word, chesed, for grace. Chesed. And it means a deliverance from enemies, a deliverance from affliction, and a deliverance from adversaries. That is the grace of God. A deliverance. In the New Testament, it uses the word charis. That's where we find the word charity from. You've got so many charity organizations these days. And what do, they, what do they want? They want you to do a donation to them, isn't it? Did they deserve the donation? No, not at all. But you give it to them anyway. That's the word charis. 
Now, in the Bible, in this particular passage, it means God's provision for salvation. That is what charity is. The real charity. God's provision for salvation. A good definition would be grace is the unmerited or undeserving favor of God to those who under who is under condemnation. And let's face it, we all are under condemnation, isn't it? And you know what God does? He comes and He gives us favor. In unfavorable times, He gives us favor. And we want to look at this. He says there in verse 23, when Barnabas came into Antioch and he had seen the grace of God. So that tells me that the grace of God can be visibly seen. Now what does it mean? What does it mean when you see the grace of God? And there's a few ways that you can see the grace of God. First of all, there's the common grace of God. The common grace. God has got many a grace, isn't it? You can put it that way. This is given to all people on the earth. But the only thing is this grace of God has no eternal blessing. Think about this now. Because you're sitting here this morning and you say, well, I have, I've received some grace of God. And it's true. The man who walks past this place, the sinner, even the murderer this morning, has receiving some grace of God. How wonderful is our God that He bestowed grace upon this planet. Life is one of those. Life is a grace of God. Do you realize that? Sitting here this morning and your heart is still pumping and you've still got your mind, your wits to yourself to, to be able to think, to be able to get up in the morning, to brush your teeth, to wash your hair, to put clothes on. Those are all graces from God which He bestowed upon you this morning. It could be so different for you. So different. But life is one of those. And we all deserve death, don't we? You say, how? And, and where is the proof of that? Well, you remember in Genesis chapter 2 when God came to Adam, He said, there is all the trees in the garden, you may eat of them all. But what did He say in verse 17? But this is the tree of knowledge, good and evil, and thou shalt not eat of it. And then appeared Eve on the scene, and what did Eve do? Satan came to her and said, surely you can eat of that tree. Surely you will eat, but you see the problem Eve is, God is so afraid that if you're going to eat from that tree, that you will be as wise as Him. And what did she do? She saw it was good for her eyes, and for pride of life, and for food. And what did she do? She ate of it. And after she ate of it, what happened? There was a spiritual death that took place. Adam was standing there, and he goes, he didn't fall down and die. But what he did not realize is from that point onward, it was meant for man to die once, and then after that judgment. We see in Romans chapter 5 verse 12, it says, Therefore just as through one man sentered into the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all have sinned. Are we all men in this place? Yes, we are. And you know what? That's why this body dies. And as you grow older, you get to realize that this body is going to die. You're not going to live in this body forever. It's got its pains and sickness. And believe me, this morning when I got out of bed, it started feeling like an old body. 
I got up with one leg and then I start warming up the other leg and then you start pushing yourself up. You see, the thing is, this old body is decaying. There is a death coming to it. And this is what it says there, the writer of Romans, Paul. In Romans 6.23, he says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hence, I say this morning, the common grace of God is life, but this life, this body, has no eternal blessing. This physical body is sitting there. It is amazing that so many people are spending so much on this physical body, but it's got no eternal blessing. What has got an eternal blessing? Your soul. Your soul will live forever. And it just depends where it's going to spend its time forever. Is it going to be the lake of fire, or is it going to be in the presence of God in heaven? You see, that's a common grace. Now, when Barnabas came to this church, he would have seen the common grace because they were all alive. He was in the city, he walked down, Barnabas walked down that four kilometer marbled street and what did he see? He saw the grace of God upon all mankind. There were children playing around. There were old people walking down the street. There were young people living out their lives. And there were the moral and the immoral people all going about their bits just like Melbourneese this morning. And you know what? God leave them over to their own devices to live their lives to make their own choices just like Melbourne this morning. Just like your life. He's not going to push you in a dictatorship. He's not a dictator. God's not a dictator. So this is what he saw. Health is a grace from God. Did you realize that? How is it then that some people live unhealthy lives and they stay healthy? Say thank you to the grace of God. Say thank you to the grace of God. Prosperity is a grace of God. Did you know that? Friends, anything can change in life just like that. The fact that we are sitting here in Melbourne and it's going well with us is by the grace of God. Did you realize that anything can happen to you in the next half an hour and you lose everything? Did you realize that? You have to think about this. And then if you understand that, then you will turn to God, fall on your knees humbly and thank God for His grace. You and I did not deserve that at all. But some people are living in life as if life owes them something. How much does life owe you? Nothing. Here, Barnabas comes into the city. He walks down the street and he sees the common grace of God. But then there is the divine grace of God. What is the divine grace of God? This takes place in the heart of man. This is unseen with the natural eye. You can't see it straight away. And I've been there when people committed their hearts and lives to the Lord. And physically you look at the person, he stands up, he's the same. He still has to go to the shower and shower. He still has to do all of these things. But this grace of God comes into the human heart of man. And this is the ones who are saved by His grace and they accept it. Now what happens? What happens in the heart? Hebrews chapter 13 verse 9. He says, Do not be carried about by various strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart is established by grace. It is good, brother and sister, this morning, that your heart is established by grace. But you see, a lot of people, they don't live like that. 
their hearts are not established by grace. It's established by their own efforts and powers. And you know what? There is a world, there's a second message in the world which will help you to establish your own heart. But here it is said that they are established by grace. Now, there's three main ways that God's work in your heart, that God works. First, He works in your heart by loving us first. Did you know that He loves you first? In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, it says, We love Him because He first loved us. And you see there, it says the past tense. Do you see that? Where does that point to? It points to the cross. The cross is the ultimate picture. It's the ultimate evidence that He loved us. Somebody gave His life for us. That somebody is not just anybody. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is God Himself who came from heaven from a place of glory. And it says there in Philippians chapter 2 that He took on the form of a bond servant like us, walked amongst us. And you know what He did? He went to the cross for you and for me. That is the ultimate sign of sacrifice. And it says here, John writes it down, we love Him because He first loved us. Romans 5 verse 8, he says, but God demonstrates His own love towards us. The word in Greek there for demonstrate is an action. He did a physical action to show His love towards us. And again, I point you to the cross of Christ. That's a, a demonstration of His love towards us that in while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How wonderful is this relationship we have with God? He doesn't turn to you and say to you, look, you've got to become better before you come to me. Oh, you've got to be a boo, good boy and girl now. You see all those things you do wrong? We'll give you two months to get rid of that. Then you come to me. No, no. He says, come just the way you are. I've already loved you. But there is a consequence for sin, my child. Now I'm going to come to you and I'm going to wash you with the blood of the Lamb. And then I'm going to help you to become and to walk in the path of righteousness. He does that for us. So the first way that we see the divine grace of God is the love of God. He first loved us. The second is, He forgave us our trespasses. He forgave us these trespasses. You know what a trespass is? It's a slip up. How many of you have slip ups in your life? Is it only me? No, we all have slip ups. And what do you do when there's a slip up? There's a consequence. In Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 he says, And you being dead in your trespasses, in your slip-ups. You know what a trespass is? It says there's a line there and there's a sign that says, Do not enter. Beware of the dog. You know what some people do? They say, man, I'm just going to jump over. I want to see how big the fangs of the dog is. And they jump over the fence and they give a few steps into and say, where are you, doggy, doggy, doggy? And you know what? And they take another step because the dog's not there. And they take another step. And they go, you know what? It's five meters to the fence. I can outrun a dog. And they walk a little bit further on. And you know, the next moment this dog comes roaring around the corner. And it's a big bulldog with big teeth. And you know what? Now it's not five meters anymore. You've got to run 20 meters to it and the dog's faster than you and he pulls you down. That is what sin do. 
Sin is this big dark which you can't see straight away, but once you venture far enough over the trespass line, it cuts us up with you. And then it's too late. And you say, what happens? He says, and you've been dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. He has made a life together with Him. How good is God? How good is God? He has made us alive. How wonderful is that? That's His grace. We didn't deserve that. Friend, your slip-up that you do is so horrible. You'd be ashamed to come up here and tell us about it. Am I right? You'd walk up here and say, this is how I've messed up this week. I'll tell you what, you'd be ashamed. You'd be standing before a God, naked before Him, like Adam and Eve did. And you know what He does? He doesn't do what people do. He's not on the rumor mill and on the phone gossip lines. He doesn't go to any other saint and say, have you seen what that person did? Has everyone, can, can you stand up and say that God told you what I did this week? No, He doesn't do that. You know what He do? He forgive us our trespasses. How wonderful is that? The grace of God having forgiven you. Now look at this. Look at this now. Don't miss this. I love the Bible. What is that word? Can you say it? He forgave us all trespasses having wiped out the handwriting requirements that was against us which was contrary to us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burdens of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the way. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. Friends, it's the cross. That's where it happens. He says here at the cross, He nailed it there. How did He nail it there? First of all, listen to me very carefully. He wrote your sins into His body. Think of this. He wrote His sins. He, the Bible says in Romans, He became our sin. And what happened? He nailed it to the cross. So the second way that we see the divine grace of God is He forgave us our trespasses. Paraptoma is the Greek word there. It means you've slipped up. You've messed up. And then thirdly, the grace. The grace of God worked in your heart. is He chose us and accepted us. How wonderful is that? He chose you. He chose you. Romans chapter 5, 15 verse 7, he says, Therefore receiving one another, just as Christ also received us. Just as Christ received us to the glory of God. You see the key in this verse for me is therefore. Now you've got to read what is before that, but he says, receive who? One another. It's amazing how you walk into some churches and people will not receive one another as children of God. But he says, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Ephesians 1 verse 4. I love this verse. He says, just as He chose us. Who made the choosing here? God did, isn't it? 
Isn't it? Oh, but I'm going to wait, preacher, until, until, you know, I've lived my young life. I'm going to wait another 10 years and then I'll commit my life to Him. Whose choosing is it? It's His choosing. And He says, now, in, in the book of uh, um, uh, Isaiah, chapter 1, verse 18, He says, let's reason together. Let's reason together. Now, while the time is right, come to the Lord. He says He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame in love. You see that? We should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Having predestined as to adoptions as son of Jesus Christ Himself. Now let me just say something about adoption because we've heard a sermon recently about that. Adoption is not something that takes place progressively. It's not something I'm adopted, I'm going to be adopted, and I... No, no. Adoption is happening like that. If I adopt you as my child, you are my child. Today, tomorrow, and forever. Okay? I just want to correct that. Adoption. If, if, if I sign that legal papers, you are mine. You are my child. You know what Jesus Christ did? He signed with His blood that, that document, that legal paper, and you become His child. The Son of God. Not the Son of God, a Son of God. He says, adoptions are son by Jesus Christ Himself according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. Friend, you are not accepted in Him. He made us accepted. He made us. Through the blood of Christ we accepted. One more verse in Deuteronomy. Now I know, I know, that this passage I'm going to read to you apply to Israel. It applies to Israel. Because he's going to talk about a treasure. And Israel is God's treasure. Whether you like it or not, they are. If you understand this and you go to the, the, the parables in Matthew chapter 13, you will understand the parable about the treasure is about Israel. I know that. But let's apply it to us. Because also, John comes to us in the book of Romans, and he says that you and I, I'm a Gentile. There's no Jewish blood in my veins. None. But he says that you and I, Gentiles, were what? Grafted into the olive tree. Who's the olive tree? Israel. So this also applies to us. But by far, listen to me, we haven't become the spiritual Israel who replaced the natural Israel. Be clear about that. Because that will allow you to curse Israel. And the Bible says you don't curse Israel. So let's be clear about that. But I want to put that down before I read it. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 6. He says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. Who is he talking to? To Israel. But he's talking to us as well. You're a holy people. Because the previous verse there in Ephesians, he says he chose us before him in the dependent that we should be what? Come on, you read it. We should be holy and blameless before Him. He says here, For you are a holy people before the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for Himself. A special treasure above all the people of the face of the earth. Let it be known today that those people who put their hands on Israel touches the treasure of God. You say, Oh, but they are so godless. I know. But they will come into the camp. They will bow their knee like anyone else and accept that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
He says, a special treasure above all peoples of the face of the... The Lord does not set His love out on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples, but because the Lord, what? Loves you, and because He would keep the oath which He swore to your fathers. The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. You see, we can apply that to us. The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand. Jesus Christ is a mighty hand. Would you say yes? And as He brought them, God Himself brought them, the nation, out of Egypt. Jesus Christ Himself, the mighty hand of God. What did He do? He redeemed us from the house of bondage. What is our house of bondage? Sin. So as He brought them out of the house of bondage, which was Pharaoh in, in Egypt, He brought us out of that, that ha the house of bondage, of sin and slavery. How wonderful is the grace of God. How wonderful. Now I want to finish this morning by saying this. We talk about the grace of God. And let me just say, I can preach a whole six months on the grace of God. There are so many verses. I'm not even touching the, I'm not even touching the surface. I'm only just blowing over the surface. I haven't touched it yet. But I want you to see this now. He came in to the Antioch. When he came and he had seen the grace of God, he was glad. He was glad. Glad day when I was born again. Glad day when I was born again. Glad day when I was born again. It's a glad day when I was born again. The things I used to do, I do them no more. The things I used to do, I do them no more. The things I used to do, I do them no more. It's a glad day when I was born again. You see, he associated the grace of God with the gospel, with the gladness of salvation. And what brought this man joy and gladness when he walked into this godless city? What brought him that gladness? When he saw the grace of God in them. Brother, sister, this is a godless city we're living in. Melbourne, don't be. It's the second most livable city in the world. I get that. But let me tell you, you go out on Friday evenings, oh, you go out on Monday to Sunday evenings into the city, it's a godless place. But what brings us gladness in the city of Melbourne? The salvation of the Lord our God. That brings salvation. That brings gladness. We should be glad when we see somebody comes to the Lord. Let it be a glad day when I was born again. But now he doesn't stop there in verse 23. He says, And encourage them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. This is a serious part of what he just said. He was glad when he saw the grace of God, but then he warns them. And let this be a warning for you and for me this morning. 
If this is the only reason why God got you out of your bed this morning to get into your car, to come to this place, if this is the morning that He made everybody who's sick this morning who can't be here, not to hear these words, but you hear these words, let it be a warning for you and for me. Yes? Listen now. He warns them, in this city of Antioch, this godless city, where the grace of God was demonstrated through them, He warns them. You see, the gospel is not only a call to salvation, but also a call to godliness in a dark world. I'll leave it to sink in a few moments. The gospel of Christ is not only a call to salvation. That's where a lot of people stop. Oh, I've made it now. I'm on my way to heaven. Oh, I'm going to sit back now. Everything's going to happen for me. The pastor is going to put me in a wheelbarrow and he's going to wheel me into heaven. (laughs) Doesn't work that way. The gospel is also a call to godliness. And this is what Barnabas is touching on. When he uses those words, he says, and, and he encouraged them with, that with all the purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. That's the biggest problem today. There are people not continuing with the Lord anymore. I'm telling you today, listen to me. The, the church of today is being watered down to ineffectiveness. Ineffectiveness. Christians are becoming ineffective in this world. And he warns against that. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, our Lord Himself says, Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now I know, I know this very well, there's some people who take this verse, man, and they bend it like a wire to fit them. And they want to make little slaves out of them and they say, oh, we're going to have all of these thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And, and they make it too hard for people to live this Christian life. That's not what our Lord Christ means. Who's perfect? Can you please put up your hand this morning? I'm certainly not going to put up my hand. Who's the only one who was perfect? The one who said those words. Jesus Christ. But yet, He turns to His disciples and to you and to me this morning and He says, Therefore, you shall be perfect. And you need to read before that. I'm just parachuting in there. I get that. But let me explain to you the word here. The term perfect here means to be mature or fully equipped. That's what it means. Now listen, listen. That is something you can work on to mature and to be fully equipped. God's ultimate standard of righteousness is Himself. There's no other righteousness. He's not going to water it down. God is the standard. Now, how do we equip ourselves and how do we mature? By following Him. Listen to me carefully. Where do we find it? By studying His Word. And day by day to apply His Word to our hearts. And you know what's going to happen? He's going to help us through His Holy Spirit. That's what's going to happen. Not by setting up a set of rules for yourself. The issue is we can't do this in our own selves. Are you agreeing with that? We can't do this in ourselves. And this is why in 2 Corinthians 5, Verse 21, Paul writes, For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. 
The key here is that we become the righteousness in who? Who's the him? Jesus Christ. Yes? So he gave us his son, Jesus Christ. Final verse of the morning. Second Peter. Richard, can you just call your mom there? I'm finished. Second Peter, chapter 3, verse 18. We find Peter now. He writes this down. Remember, we are talking about the grace. When Barnabas came into the city of Antioch, he saw the grace of God, and he was, what? Glad. And then he encouraged them that with purpose of heart, what should they do? Come on, we know that. With purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. And here, Peter says the same thing in different words. He says, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both forever and ever. Amen. What does Peter say? Peter is saying that grace can grow. Now let me just clarify this for you. It doesn't mean that when you were saved that you get so much grace, now you need to get more grace. That's not what it means. It's not, oh, yay, man, I've got a lot of grace. You need to get more grace. No. You grow in that grace like a child grows in maturity. That's how you grow in grace. Like a man grows into full maturity. That's how you grow in grace. Don't be, there's a lot of people who take this scripture verse out of context. They say, oh, you know what, you're going to get more grace. If you just do this thing, and if you get up in the morning and only pray at 4 o'clock, not 5 past 4, if you pray every single morning at 4 o'clock from now on, you're going to get a little bit more grace. So here's your bucket, and you fill your bucket up with grace. That's not what he says. This is growing like in maturity. So, brother and sister, this morning, let me ask you, are you continuing in the Lord? Take this message this morning. You have the grace of God. You've got the common grace of God, and you've got the divine grace of God if you're a child of God. And that divine grace manifests itself in your heart because He first loved you. You didn't first love Him. He saved you. He forgave you your sins. You couldn't do it for yourself. He accepted you. You couldn't do that for yourself. With all of that grace now, he says, listen, keep your heart with all diligence because out of it comes the issues of life. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the grace that Barnabas experienced in Antioch with these Christians. We also thank you for that grace. He's still here today with us. It's in us, the divine grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love. We thank you for salvation. And Father, we thank you, Lord, with encouraged hearts this morning that you poured out your love into each and every one of us. As the Bible says, you've poured it out into our hearts.